We turn this evening in God's Word for our scripture passage tonight, the Gospel according to Matthew, the 28th chapter. Very familiar words to us, and yet their truth is that which we constantly need to hold before ourselves as well. Matthew chapter 28, I'll be reading verses 16 through 20. Hear then the breathed out word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, the end of the age. Let's fire the reading of God's Word. Let's again bow in prayer this evening. Father, we will open our hearts to learn what Scripture tells us about you and that we can glorify you more and more in that knowledge. Will you give Pastor Bob what is needed to proclaim wonder of the wonder of you and your plan? Amen. Amen. So as we seek to come to an understanding about what Scripture teaches, last week we, we looked at it and said, well, what does Scripture teach about itself? Well, what does Scripture say Scripture is? And as I mentioned last Lord's Day then, those who hold to that teaching, those who hold to Scripture as it says, it is, we embrace. We embrace as fellow believers in Jesus Christ. The same is true this evening. What does Scripture say about God? What does Scripture teach us about God? Those who hold to that teaching, we would embrace as brothers and sisters in Christ, those who believe that which Scripture says about God are included, we would say, within that circle of Christianity, of Christian belief. Those who deny that truth, those who step outside of that, are those who we say are outside then of Christianity. That's, in a sense, what Jesus is after here. What does he tell these disciples to do? But that they are to teach all that I have commanded you. But Jesus isn't saying there, men, all I want you to be interested in are the red letter words that you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just make sure that when you go out and teach, you teach the red-letter words. I don't care about anything else in the book. 
Just teach them the red letter words. All that Jesus commanded is the fullness of the word of God. This is what we are to teach. We are not to teach just part of it. We are not to teach just some of it. We are not to hack it into small little bits and pieces. We are to take the fullness of God's word and this is what we are to teach. So the question is, as we examine Scripture, as we look at the Word of God, as we look at that which Jesus has given to us in the Word, what does the Word tell us about God? For what it tells us about God, then, is that which we need to teach, that which we need to proclaim, that which those nations of the world to which we go need to be informed. And some of those nations are our neighbors. Some of those nations live in our communities. Some of those nations go to school with us. Some of those nations we work with on a daily basis. Those nations need to be taught all that God commanded. So what does Scripture say about God? Well, let's turn first of all to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 24. Gospel of John, chapter 4, Verse 24. This is even a red letter word, right? What does it say? What does it say God is? Spirit. God is spirit. As Scripture is open to us, when we ask the question, what does Scripture teach us about God? Here's one of the things Scripture teaches us. It teaches us that God is spirit. That's our first point. That's what Scripture taught us. I didn't come up with that. That's not some creed of the church. That, that's, that's not found in some catechism somewhere. This is the word of God. As we learned last week, it is true. It is inspired. These words come to us from God himself. God is saying to you and I tonight, to the nations of the world, I am spirit. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is spirit? It means he has no physical body. He, ha he is not made up of tangible elements. He's not made up of the stuff that you and I are. We are created beings. We are made up of stuff. 
God is not. God has no body. There is no physical being of God. That's what it means. So if there are those who say, oh no, God has a body, they're wrong. That isn't true. That's not what God's word tells us. And that's not something we just kind of, oh well, you know, they're just a little mistake. No. If your very concept of God is wrong, everything else that you believe then will be wrong as well because it all comes back to the being of God. He has no physical body. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Scripture is filled with all sorts of things. God's eyes, God's hands, God's mouth, God's ears. Yes, that's the way God chooses to communicate with us. They're called anthropomorphisms. Because God knows how difficult it would be for us to think of God hearing without ears. Yet he does. He does not need these things to hear. He does not need these things to see. He does not need these things to work. He is not dependent upon them. He uses them to communicate to us that which he is doing. That he is seeing, that he is hearing, that he is working, that he is moving, that he is speaking. But he is spirit. And in that revelation of himself, as God reveals himself to us as spirit, using this means of, of communicating, of revelation, he also chooses to communicate to us as a male. 30, 40 years ago, you, you, you wouldn't even have to have raised this, but you do today. You do today because there's all sorts of folks out there who reference God as she, who reference God as mother. This is not how God reveals himself. Those are not found on the pages of Scripture. God never says, I am a mother. God chooses to reveal himself in that way, not because he is. He is spirit. But he chooses to reveal himself in this way for us to believe, for us to accept, but not for us to limit him Thereby, as a physical entity that is male. Now that's challenging. Of course it's challenging. 
God's word tells us that he is beyond understanding. He is beyond our mind's ability to comprehend. Yet God chooses to come to us in his word, in revelation, and say, this is how I reveal myself to you. Because I am so far beyond. I am so much greater than your mind. You need some means by which you can understand me as a being. Now, when we set those things aside, when we say, well, you know, God, you may choose to do that, but in my mind, it, it makes more sense for me to think of you as mother. Then what we're saying is this. God, the way you chose to reveal yourself is not good enough for me. I have the right to, re to understand you on my own terms. I have the right to define you by my own mind, by my own concepts, by my own ideas. I will choose how I'm going to understand you. You, God, don't get to choose the means by which I understand you. And when you put it that way, you'd say, well, I don't think any human being has the right to tell God what he has to do. And to tell God that the way you choose to reveal yourself as father, as male, as he, that, that just doesn't do it to, for you, so you have the right to change it. That's rebellion. That's sin. That's wrong. And we have to be careful, on the other hand, we don't get stuck in it. We have to be careful that, that we're not applying to God physical terms because he is spirit. That's what God's word reveals to us. So we have to be careful on our side too. In a sense, not to make too much of it, that we take away from his being spirit. But certainly, as we've been dealing with on Wednesday night, these various denominations, certainly you'd understand why we would be cautious, what we might hold at an arm's length, where we might say, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure we should have any fellowship with you because you keep talking about God as mother. Or you keep referencing the fact that God has a physical body. We need to hold you at arm's distance. In fact, what we really need to do is to go to you. To hold you at an arm's distance as far as fellowship is concerned, but to go to you with all that Jesus has commanded. Because you need God's truth. Second point. How else does God choose to reveal himself? Not only as the invisible God, not only as the immortal invisible God, as Paul does in Timothy, but he also reveals himself in these ways. 
I'll give you the verse. You don't have to look it up. You can write it down in your notes, but then I'll read it. From our scripture tonight, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 1 Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Consular, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominations or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Scripture, not men's minds, reveal to us that God is triune. He is Father, He is Son, He is Spirit. Beyond our human capacity to fully understand, beyond our human capacity to fully uh, delve into and to know, yet that's what Scripture reveals. He is triune. Take your Trinity Psalter hymnal a moment. Turn in the Back to page 853. Page 853. I find this interesting in regards to this creed. This is a historic creed of Christianity. This is the creed of the church from 300 on. Protestants, Catholics, anybody basically who comes under the name Christian confesses this. It's called the Athanasian Creed. Look at the first line. Whoever desires to be saved should, above all, hold to the Catholic faith. Now, notice the little number one, right? Look down below. Because the Catholic, because the sea of Catholic is small, 
We're not referring to the Catholic Church, as in Roman Catholic Church, but we're using the word Catholic in its understanding of being universal. So the universal church, the church that is one across all times, places, and people. Anyone, note what it says, anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. Now what does the Athanasian Creed describe as the Catholic faith? It's two main things. One that whole first section that you see, that big paragraph, is all about the Trinity. In other words, the church has said for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, if you don't believe that God is triune, you are not saved. So if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you're not saved. And I'll go out on the limb. I don't care what Mr. Beck tells you. He is. The church has historically said, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son, if you do not believe in the Trinity, you are not saved. That's the first paragraph. The second paragraph defines for us who Jesus Christ is. That he is the incarnate Son of God. That Jesus Christ is not only divine, but he is also humanity. Do you notice when Mark and Lauren Stood up this morning, asked the questions for profession of faith, what the second question is. Do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Come in the flesh? Do you believe that? Why, Why do we stress that? Why? Because that's what the church has stressed for years and years and years. Not just the OPC, not just reform folks. This is what the church has expressed. Turn the page. Look at page 854. This is the Catholic faith that one cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. Why? Because that's what God reveals. And if you do not accept that which God reveals, then God is a liar. And if God is a liar, if that's what your charge is, if your charge is, no, God got it wrong in the Word, then you're in rebellion against God. And you are outside of the Christian faith. See, we have stopped thinking as Christians. We, we have stopped processing that which we hear. We just accept it point blank. It's like we believe every fake news story that comes down the pike. And you go, oh, of course not. I don't believe that. Then why do we believe 
when somebody says they're a Christian, yet holds to heretical views, that that statement holds water, that they are a Christian. We need to be a discerning lot. Because there are people that we're passing over with the message of the gospel because we think they're saved when they are not. Neighbors who we think are saved but are not because they do not believe in God's revelation of himself as triune, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thirdly, what else does God reveal about himself? Those two things, the fact that God is spirit, is generally held and acknowledged by, by just about every major Christian denomination in the world. That's really not anything new, although the way we need to think about it perhaps is challenging. And obviously, as I've pointed out, believing that God is triune is a historical benchmark of Christianity. Once again, held by Christians throughout the world. But this one, this one begins to separate people out. Let me read you the scripture passages. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does what pleases him. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Proverbs 19.21, many, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand firm. Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And his kingdom rules over all. Proverbs 16.33 The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Job 42.2 I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 1 Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Second Chronicles 26. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to to withstand you. What does God reveal about himself? In the word. He reveals that he is sovereign. Now what does that mean, that God is sovereign? Well, we could put it down this way. That God has ultimate rule over everything. 
ultimate rule. There's no co-rule. There's no co-forces of equality in this world. God rules over all. Secondly, it means that God has an absolute plan that is being carried out. And nothing can thwart that plan. Nothing changes that plan. Thirdly, it means that God has a purposed will. He has a will, and that will has a purpose. It's not willy-nilly. It's not, ah, what it's, hey, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. God is heading all things in a direction. And there is nothing that happens that thwarts that plan and purpose and will of God. God is never surprised by anything that happens. Nor can I change the will of God. I can't change his plan. I can't change his purpose. I don't have the power to do that. I'm a, but a human being, and he's God. See, that sovereignty of God is what a lot of people have a hard time handling because they want to retain some control. They want to retain some authority. They want to retain some space on the throne. And God says, no. There is only one throne, and I am the one who rules from there. In all matters of life. Life, death, sickness, illnesses, tornadoes. Windstorms, cancer, salvation. There is nothing that is outside of the plan and purposes of God. So if somebody says, well, Pastor, I, I, it's, that's kind of interesting, but I think in terms of salvation, I get to decide whether or not I'm going to be a Christian. How would you place that? Given what God's word says, given what God's word teaches, somebody who would say, I think I get to control my own salvation. I think I get to determine whether or not I am going to follow the Lord. Would you rule that and say, that falls within the sovereignty of God? Or would you say, how can you be a co-ruler with God in terms of salvation. God is sovereign over my salvation as well as over all the aspects of my life. God rules. God is in charge. God is in control. Those who say otherwise fall outside of that understanding of God. And we need to go. We need to go with the message of God. We need to go with all that Jesus taught. 
They need to hear. It's not like we just go, oh, well, you know, uh, that's, that's probably okay. We can let that one go. No, Jesus said, teach them all that I have commanded. What did Jesus command? I'm sovereign over all things. That needs to be taught. This becomes our responsibility to handle the truth of God correctly, to handle the truth of God rightly. And I say, well, they're doing some good stuff over there. I think we'll just let it go. No! We need to make sure that the truth about God is being told, is being taught. We need to do so lovingly. We need to do so compassionately. But we need to do so. We cannot just look the other way. We have the responsibility from Jesus to teach all that he commanded. God is sovereign is what God's word teaches. What else does God's word teach us about God? Malachi 3.6 For I, the Lord, do not change. Psalm 147, verse 5 Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Psalm 145.17 The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. 1 John 3.20 For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Jeremiah 32.17 Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your stretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. 1 Samuel 2.2 2, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Leviticus 19.2 Speak to all the congregation of the people and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Romans 11.33 Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me shall be night. Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. What does scripture say about God? In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, has promised. What does scripture say about God? Think of all the words we've just uncovered. His love. He's holy, 
He's just. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's almighty. This is what God, the supreme being of the universe, gives you the privilege of knowing. He gives us the privilege of knowing who he is. He tells us, this is who I am. He opens up to us humans. This is who I am. Love me. Serve me. Follow me. Teach. Teach who I am to the nations of this world. You see, my friends, the work of the church is never done. There is never a point at which the church can say, in terms of human history, we have done all that we can do. No. We have to go to the nations of the world with the message that Jesus has commanded us to go with. The message of the gospel, which isn't just Jesus saves. The message of the gospel is the whole entire word of God. We have been privileged to have God's Spirit open our hearts, open our minds, so that we might put our faith and trust in this God of the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. Father, the marvelous thing it is that you have done. That you have given to us your word, your truth, to bring to the nations of the world. But Father, the marvelous thing is that you first have opened our own hearts and you've revealed yourself to us. And so we come, Father, with great humility again before you, confessing that we are but creatures and we do not even know the half of who you are. Understanding, Father, your perfections and our imperfections. Understanding your holiness and our sinfulness. But understanding your grace and mercy and love to us in Jesus Christ, in his name. In his name, Father, we accept your forgiveness. We accept your pardon. For Father, your word promises that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins. Lord, if we have not thought rightly about you, 
turn our hearts, turn our minds to see who you are in your word and then to live that truth from day to day. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.